You can skip this meeting info disclaimer by going to the two minute and 30 second mark. This is a comedy show about black mental health and race. None of the views expressed here should be considered advice. This is a content and trigger warning. Some audience members may find the show's content to be harmful and disturbing. Not as annoying as this fucking music. This comedy discusses issues that are adult in nature. You must be 18 or older to listen. The views expressed are independent of any podcast platforms or sponsors. Now that we've eliminated, exploited, or offended everyone in the known fucking universe, please enjoy the show. If you have an actual emergency, please dial 911. Peace. You have public access to listen to this Zoom meeting live. Friday nights after midnight, around 3 a.m., actually Saturday morning, which is 3 a.m., by dialing in at 646-876-9923. That's 646-876-9923. Welcome to Zoom. Enter your meeting ID followed by pound. Our meeting ID is 819-6724-8120. That's 819-6724-8120. Meeting ID. The passcode is 307404. That's 3074 zero four three zero seven four zero four thank you and we'll see you inside our zoom meeting on black mental health and race you are in the meeting now you are the first participant please stand by cool assalamu alaikum brother peace to god peace to the universe What's going on, brother? <clears throat> Same shit, different day, bro. Yes, sir. You have to excuse me. I'm a little juiced up tonight. Got some uh, mucinex and some scissor. And some what? Um, scissor. What is that? What is that? Uh. People take NyQuil to get high, brother. You better step up to the modern day. I'll pass, bro. What do they call that self-medication? <laughs> I think that's what's wrong with, uh, allegedly, what's wrong with, um, what you may call it, uh, the lollipop boy. Life on board. Lil Wayne. Oh. He, he don't seem off to you? <laughs> O-F-T? Off? <laughs> he can't even scratch him. <laughs> he, he backing up your, uh, the president, uh, the former president, who's coming back, brother. I remember you and I having a conversation with uh, a couple of people on here about some politics, which is why I refuse 
to argue with people about politics. And they were so insistent that um, uh, T-R-U-M-P, Rump, was going to jail. And I told them then, as I will tell anybody now who's out there listening in the universe, you are delusional. There is nothing you can do to a president. You can hope all you want. You can have all the committees you want. You can have the FBI search his home, and he's still running for president. What a way to start off tonight, brother. I'm going to blame it on the uh, bootleg night quill I took. Welcome back to our show. This is the Black Mental Health and Race. I am your host, MF Doug AF, and my co-host has real credentials. D.R. Wayne, Dr. Moore. What's yeah. going on, brother? Uh, not much, bro. Um, I just I disagree with your last um, <laughs> statement about. Um, uh oh, brother. Uh oh. <laughs> there's nothing that yes, you can sir. do about um, a president, well, or a former president. In fact, um, <clears throat> um, there is speculation that he's going to be indicted. Um, on some charges coming up. I don't know if that will take place. Uh, it may or it may not. But what I do know is that um, Nixon would have been indicted had not he been pardoned by... Um, that is correct, sir. Yeah. Uh, by, by, I think he was pardoned by Ford. So... Um, <clears throat> he is not... Uh, above the law, and I would not be surprised <laughs> if he was arrested. So um, I'm sorry I don't share that that um, position with you. Yeah, um, as we used to say, it's an exercise in futility. It's just mm -hmm. a waste of time. He's been uh, remembered that um, maybe like six months ago he was in. Uh, Rump was indicted in New York. That is his new name, Rump. Uh, Rump was indicted in New York City, brother. Come to mm. find out that uh, the indictment did not um, uh, have it as a criminal indictment. They went after something else. I think money and misappropriate misappropriation of funds or something to that effect and um, I haven't heard anything about that lawsuit since brother yeah yeah <clears throat> I don't know all the details of it either <clears throat> but um, I don't profess to be of <clears throat> legal mind <laughs> so so I don't know, but um, I, I, what I know for sure, <clears throat> after watching the Murdoch case, um, 
that justice is coming. <laughs> that, it, you know, here in America, uh, you can think that you are above the law, whether you're white or black, and you can ask Murdoch uh, about that, and you can ask Wesley Snipes about that, uh, but uh, they will come for your ass. <laughs> And let me put this out here as a warning to everyone who think that they can outsmart the law. There's a bunch of fools going around talking about they sovereign, brother. A lot of these well, fools are black. I well, don't care I tell about you, the white one. I care about the black one. Well, I tell you what. They can be sovereign, but they ass going to be sorry. <laughs> they going to be sovereign and sorry at the same time. <laughs> Yes, sir. That we can agree upon. You're listening to Black Mental Health and Race, and we are here as pilot and co-pilot on the mother plane, the mothership, trying to guide you back, you, the audience, back to your, um, your conscious self, your rational self. I believe that is one of the ultimate goals of these conversations, brother. And sometimes you got to talk me down from the uh, ledge. So I appreciate you coming back every week. And um, although we have no audience, we are Self-defined, self-determined to continue this road. And uh, I thank you, brother, that much. Indeed, indeed. If uh, you're not helping anybody else, you are indeed helping me. Because um, sometimes I see things on the news like... um, this Mexican cartel uh, kidnapping. And I wonder what the going on. Um, I, before we came on air, I said I was going to bring this up. There's some residents of uh, South Carolina place that um, we are both familiar with somewhat on my part. That is the hometown home state of my mother, South Carolina. So I'm endeared to anything that happens in South Carolina. We brought up the murder murders. Um, But there's a new news story coming out of South Carolina state about um, four people that were abducted after traveling from South Carolina driving Here's how strange this sounds, Dr. Moore. They were driving from South Carolina to Mexico. <laughs> I think you got to hit at least Texas before you can even go down into Mexico. I may be wrong, but um, I'm, I'm not a driver, so maybe you can confirm or deny that. But well, that's I a won't long con- ass drive. I won't confirm or deny that, but I will say. That you must be from South Carolina if you're going to drive to goddamn Mexico. <laughs> yes, sir. 
You can't be from nowhere else. That sounds, Mexico. that sounds like a South Carolina mentality to me, but you know. <laughs> which we both escaped. <laughs> Barely escaped. <laughs> and it keeps trying to draw me back in, brother. It keeps oh, trying wow. to draw me. <laughs> well, all I like to say is get him to talk me down from this leg. All I like to say is keep running, brother. Keep running. <laughs> Ain't nothing down there but bees, trees, and railroad tracks. How the fuck do you drive to South uh, Mexico from South Carolina, brother? Well, you know, I, I you know, I'm I'm saying that. Um being facetious, you know, because I have a um, a couple of years ago, uh, my fraternity had a conclave in Vegas, and so mm-hmm. I had a frat brother that drove from DC wow. to Vegas. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I was facetiously saying that about South Carolina, but if you are if you are a driver, bro. And you know, like truck drivers, um, uh, you know, John Madden comes to mind. He refused yeah. to fly. Yeah, there are there are people like that. So, um, you know, if, if you are a driver, you know, you like driving, then that's no big, you know, feat for you. But um, I know um, my son was on spring break this week. And so he's he's at yeah, uh, my my alma mater and his mom's alma mater, and um, we put his ass on a plane, you know, right. to come home for a spring break. <laughs> so that was the first time he was traveling, you know, on his own uh, on an airplane. But that shit and did the hell out of me. That all right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I talked him through it, you know. Uh, you know, through going to the airport, checking his bag in, um, you know, getting his seat arrangements and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, you know, teaching him some independence, but shit. Man, that was better than, in, in our opinion, opinion, than driving the fuck all the way back to South Carolina. Right. You know, and then, yeah, and then having to drive back a week later to take him back because spring break is only a week. So he was like, fuck that. We'll get you a round trip ticket, bro. And you <laughs> jump on that plane. You know. Now, I, I had a boy that, that um we worked together. He lived in the Bronx. I lived in Brooklyn. But um after he retired, he moved to Georgia, Atlanta. And this brother would drive Every damn month back up here to see his mom. I'm like, yeah. he's a driving motherfucker, boy. Yeah, bro. They, they got people. Do yeah. Now, I will that's say. South Carolina. That's, that's, South Carolina is what, 14 hours on the road, right? Um, We're from New York. Coming back to New York. Yeah. So, New York is like three and a half to four hours from here. Mm-hmm. And depending on what part of South Carolina you go to, because right. if I go to Chiraw from D.C., that's about six hours. 
about a six hour drive. But if I go wow. to if I go to Orangeburg, um right, which where South Southern Right, where uh South Carolina State is, that's about seven and a half to eight hours. Right. But if I'm in Orangeburg and I'm gonna go to Georgia, depending on what part of Georgia I'm from I'm gonna go to, I, I mean it might take me anywhere from thirty minutes to an hour to get to, mm. to Georgia. You know. What? So I think Atlanta may be at most maybe two hours from Orangeburg, South Carolina. So it depends on mm -hmm. what part of the Carolinas you you're going to. Because if you're talking about Chiraw, Chiraw is closer to the North Carolina line, right? Right. So you can get to North Carolina from Chiraw, you know, in about 30 minutes. 15 to 30 minutes, depending on yeah. where you're at. About yeah. Yes, sir. Well, have you heard anything about this Mexican kidnapping? Other than this... Uh, I have Wow, I don't understand how you drive to Mexico from South Carolina, but apparently it can be done, and it was done. But I, I'm, I'm figuring the the most connected state coming from the East Coast would have to be Texas. Mm -hmm. I think Louisiana is behind Texas, or, or is it in front? Not too good geographically because I don't drive. Mm, Louisiana will be going further south, right? Oh, so you're saying uh, from Texas? Yeah, so that's it's further. I think Louisiana is. I'm correct. Further west, right? Yeah, it's further. So if you're going down from New York, DC. No Virginia, oh, no going Carolina, across. So, I'm talking about going across from South yeah. from the So if you're driving if you so if you're driving down, right? You're mm -hmm. driving down from from New York to DC, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and then you're gonna go like Georgia, then probably Texas. And then you're going to move laterally, I think, to Louisiana. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. Texas is a really, really big place. It's yeah. almost like, yeah, yeah it's yeah, almost like, right. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, pro it's probably one of the biggest states. Um, right. You know. When, the, the, when North America was colonized, brother, it, it's like the biggest territory of western civilization other than probably um australia because when you go to europe which i didn't know because i'm not a traveler um you can hit paris and london and uh, um dublin all in the same day's trip i didn't know that realize it was that small um, I'm reminded of the question um, of how how much is the population of the uh, colored man and the original man. 
I didn't realize Europe was that damn small. And um, n- not even all of the um, territories in uh, Western Europe, like France, uh, Germany, Italy, uh, UK, that, that that's a very small area compared to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, but not if you look at it on the map because they make it look really big hmm. which is quite the <laughs> scene <laughs> exactly and um, uh, financially and in, 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 as far as empires are concerned they are quite big because their arms extend across um, the seas and oceans uh, and all of the landmass, the I won't call it white supremacy, but it's certainly um, a Western philosophy that's in charge of globally of uh, a, a great portion of the world. There's still places like India that has an independent system. Uh, places like um, Africa that has somewhat of an independent system and China and Russia, but the Western influence on the globe is pretty extensive. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else I wanted to talk about tonight. Um, what did you think of uh, last week's um, topic? Wasn't too popular with um, the audiences. Not that we have anything popular to say for the audience anyway. But um, we talked about the Nation of Islam and its aging. So I don't think um, it was a topic of interest for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. What, did what did I think, think about last week's um, topic of the nation of Islam? Um, I, I mean, I thought it was um, um, Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. No, I thought it was um I thought it was biased, you know, uh it was definitely limited to your and my perspective. Um but uh you know, my pers- opinion about it was that you know, I just felt like um there was a lot of pros and cons to the Savior's Day speech and um, I really want want to be careful about ageism you know or sound discriminatory you know in terms of ageism but um, I was just really expressing my concern about the minister um, uh, and his aide um, still being the keynote speaker for Savior's Day 
Um, so I don't know if I'm, you know, out of pocket, out of line by by saying that. You know, I know, unfortunately, that um, we as human beings um, are people of, of personality and we mm-hmm. like personality. Um, and that's the reason why, you know, we have something called fans, right? And followers because people are, are, are big time fans and followers. And so I know a lot of people wanted to see the minister. Um, I just, you know, I'm concerned about his effectiveness and his health at this point and about um, who, you know, may be superseding him, you know, um, right. you know, when, when he transitions. Um, so those type of things were, were just concerning to me. Um, seeing the minister, you know, at this point, um, still being the, the keynote speaker for Savior's Day, um, it's kind of concerning for me. Um, I haven't, and maybe this is just me. They, I know that there are some fiery ministers that um, that are in the wings, but I haven't seen another um, co-pilot um, like Dr. Khaled right. Muhammad. Um, right. since Dr. Khalid Muhammad and I don't know what that would what that will mean for the nation of Islam um, you know when and if the minister transitions so you know um, but my opinion about what I said hasn't hasn't changed I still feel that that weight um, right. and, and being concerned at, in, at seeing the minister at this age being the keynote speaker um you know, at, at, at Savior's Day. Right. You yeah, know, granted, I... Uncomfortable for me as well. But, granted, I definitely think that he, you know, should have been a great part of, <laughs> of you know, the Savior's Day speech. But I don't know that, you, you know, in my humble opinion, um, I, I just thought that it, it there should have been a grooming you know, uh, of a new, you know, an up and coming um, minister. And I don't know who all spoke prior to the minister speaking. And so maybe um, because I missed that part, maybe there there was. So I don't want to be speaking out of turn and saying that, but I just didn't see it. So that's what I was speaking to. Right. Um, Brother Ishmael. One of the sons of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is like the um, main speaker when um, it does the day-to-day um, speaking um, for the Chicago, I, I believe. That's just my outside observe, observance. Um, I cannot speak um, as what Malcolm said, those who know don't say and those who say don't know. But um, I was a little uncomfortable myself talking about the minister in uh, regards to age. But I was also 
determined to um, address the situation because the outsiders who may not be significant to the laborers of the mosque, the Nation of Islam, um, we do care what happens to the Nation of Islam. We do care um, that it continues to be a thorn in the side of white supremacy and that it still continues to be a viable organization and um, movement for freedom, justice, and equality in the, in the hills of North America, whether we believe uh, <clears throat> in the tenets or not we are still concerned. And so hopefully that will be an explanation to anybody that may think that we were trying to um, be negative or talk about things that we didn't know. I think we all have um, a right. It's politics. It's... um not the U.S. government politics, but we also talked about the age of um, President Biden and his effectiveness um, for running the country. Um, so it doesn't just limit itself to the nation of Islam. Um, hopefully, people will see our sincerity in even bringing up the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, back to this um, notion of sovereignty. Now, a white uh, male has been killed by the police after um, what looks like um, him trying to confront the police verbally about his rights. But I've, I have been warning everybody, and the, the theme of um, my uh, warning to people for 2023 is be very careful, not just with what you know, but what you can get away with. Because you can know a lot, but that does not mean that your ass won't end up in a pine box for what you know. Um, apparently, um, I didn't get big into the story, but apparently some white male has been killed by the police or, um, his interaction with police and his rights. Um, any comment on that or what has happened to some black people who have stressed those same rights of sovereignty and challenging the police and what they believe to be their rights. Well, brother, I feel like I'm in a pickle about that. It's a shame that this would happen to this fine white gentleman trying to assert his rights. I wonder if anybody ever taught him how to respond to the police. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm being completely facetious as I say this. Well, the, the the funny thing is that when we were part of the slave theater, there was a sister, Sister Carol. She had a little black book on how to exactly respond to police. And one of the warnings that she had in that book, although it had a whole book of rights that you have, was getting home to exercise, exercise those rights. You, your, your best bet is to do that in a court of law, not with the police on the street. They don't have the patience nor the tolerance for your legal mind. And when they perceive you as a threat and things escalate into an argument, altercation, and they tell you to put your hands behind your back, it's a whole different ball game, no matter what you do. Well, unfortunately, for black or white. Well, unfortunately, unlike white folks, black people mm-hmm. in this country have been the only people in this country where the color of their skin was considered a threat. Mm-hmm. And so when they walk outside, because they are black, they're perceived as a threat. There's no white person in this country by default or the color of their skin when they walk outside or interact with people that their skin makes them a threat. So they don't get on an elevator with a black or white person and be perceived a threat. But a black person can get on an elevator, go into a grocery store or any store or go anywhere and just by default or the color of their skin, they're perceived a threat. So I don't know how they get around that. And I don't know how you avoid racism or racist mentality when it comes to that because it's not anything that you can change. I know my son called me last night and said that um, I got pulled over today. Wow. And when he told me the fear that he had by being pulled Mm. over, it could literally Mm. bring tears to your eyes. Because yes. he said he didn't know why he was being pulled over. And the first thought that ran to that ran through his mind was, oh my God, am I about to be a statistic? Hmm. You know, That's and he weird. said the, and the police pulled him over because he had his high beams on. Mm-hmm. And I said, Wow, Khalid, I said, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, but that, in my opinion, sounds like they were looking for somebody to fuck with. Right. Because yep. with all the crime in this area that's going on, you're going to pull mm. somebody over because they had their high beams on. And there's a lot of shit that could be, you could be addressing. But mm. you choose to pull somebody over because they had their high beams on. Hmm. And this I think is that's how cool. the innocent lose their lives. And, and I, yeah, and and I, and I just call bullshit on that. Hmm. And I don't think um, America really appreciates the anxiety and the fear that we have 
is real. That's not um, something that every black person that gets stopped by police is a potential lethal incident. Every stop. Yeah. And you don't have white people and white kids feeling like if I get pulled over by the police, am I going to die tonight? Right. They don't even you know? have that concept. Right. Right. And so it's impossible for them to understand what it is to be a black person, you know, and have an interaction with the police. I know a couple of years back, a white boy in New York City uh, was wielding an axe, but he had mental health issues. And that was the first time in a long time that a white male with a weapon, even though he had mental issues, was killed. And um, But this is every day for a black person. You wake up every day and hope that you don't get stopped by police because it's going to be some bullshit. You can be as innocent as hell and that shit can escalate. Something can go wrong and you're dead. And that that should never be the, anybody's reality in any country. And I don't think that white people appreciate it until it happens to them. And then they still don't get it. Well, yeah. he must have been doing something wrong. He must yeah. have uh, not responded correctly or didn't obey the commands of the officer. Yeah, you, you're probably right. But that does That's not, that is not acceptable that a traffic stop turns into um, a funeral. Right. There's no it's, way right. in any uh, state of human beings where that should be okay. Right. Or even a mistake. That shouldn't even be a mistake. Right. Traffic stop equals death. No. We should not tolerate that. But we have to um, develop some type of um, psychological defense against our reality that we have to face on a daily basis. And we have to do it alone because the very people that are doing this to us think that um, this is normal, this is okay, this is illegal. Very few cops Although you, you see a trial of police on on trial for obsess, obs, excessive force, those are just the the uh, the aberrations. Those are just the ones that got prosecuted. This happens on a daily basis, and some of them are never even make the news, much less get prosecuted. Yep. So that yep. was a tragedy that um, this white male had to face. 
and it's very unfortunate. But um, the bigger picture is that human beings should have zero tolerance for excessive force or police escalation of incidents. But the police are trained that if it comes between my life and your life, yours is expendable. I have to make it home because I've taken an oath to protect the public. And if you seem like a threat to me or the public, I can take you up. That is the deference that uh, is legal deference that is given to uh, police officers that they have the power of life and death in certain circumstances. Uh, the president has the power of life and death. The empire has the power of life and death. The religion has the power of life and death over a person. One of the things that I'm reading in these books is how, how and who controls that power of life and death. And that's why I see religion as being sometimes problematic, but in other times uh, uh, a necessary evil for establishing order. Now, you can believe that um, as, as this episode of Martin showed that the head of, the head of cabbage was, was God. <laughs> he went to some um, cult on the, on the episode of Martin where the head of cabbage was being worshipped. But what is not seen, although it's ridiculous to worship a head of cabbage, was that the discipline and the order that comes from whatever these beliefs are is how we maintain civilization. But it gives people the power of life over your life and death. And that is something that we should take very seriously. We should not um, use that power in vain. I, I, you know what? Uh, I, I don't know, bro. Um, it, this takes me to a thought process um, about religion and about power and thought processes and things like that. And I'm saying that because, you know, as a therapist, mm. one of the most dangerous things that I'm seeing um, in society, and one of the reasons why I don't do therapy with children. I, right, because, I meant to ask you about that. Go ahead. Because I... I see a very serious, a very serious problem um, in the society today, in the way that parents parent their children, and it it is almost scary to me. Mm. Um, this new age of parenting, where the parents aren't 
really parenting. The children are parenting the parents. Mm. And it is very scary. And I I don't know if that is more dangerous than religion. Right. And you believing in religion because right. I, I, I don't know why parents are feeling like it's okay for their children to tell them who they are instead of them nurturing their children into who they should be. Mm -hmm. And I think that when a five-year-old comes to a 30-year-old, a 25-year-old and says, mm -hmm. I don't see myself <laughs> as this, but I think I'm a dolphin. <laughs> I think I'm a cat. I think mm -hmm. I'm a boy. I think I'm a girl. And the parent says, okay, that's that's what you think you are. That's who that's how you see yourself. I, I don't know. It's it's almost like creating a new species. Right. Right. And, I, and I'm telling you this from a therapeutic perspective, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think it is a very dangerous thing. The parent think that they are being loving and nurturing. But there's if, if you have a dog, you don't that dog to act like a cat, or do you raise you don't raise that dog to act like a cat or act like a fish or mm. or anything else except for being a dog, you know, or mm. a cat. So I don't understand. And there is that there's this movement now of parents, yeah. new parents embracing this new mentality and gender identity. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's so fucking dangerous um, what they're doing because mm -hmm. I think they don't know what they're doing and they're exploring. And I'm not trying to be a hard-nosed 50-year-old, right? Like I got all the answers. But what I do know <laughs> about cognitive development right, is the way that we develop. And we, our minds don't cognitively fully develop until we're like 25 years old. Mm. So if you are a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, and you're coming to someone, your parents, and you're saying, you know, I think I'm a this, or I think I'm a that. And your parent letting you live you know, do that. I think the parent is doing the child a disservice and the child is doing himself a disservice. And, I, and, and because I will say, if I look at my own personal life, mm -hmm. the nigga that I was at 15, 16, mm -hmm. 17, I was a natural born fool. <laughs> right? And, and you know, I don't even know how I survived. Glad that you had somebody to stop you. Right? I, I didn't have anybody to stop me. That's that was a problem. You know, and you couldn't have told me shit at that age. 
And I can't imagine somebody, me at 15, 16, 17, even 18, 19, <laughs> saying, yeah, that's who you really are. I'm, I'm going to help nourish, you know, that person that you, I, mean, I probably would have killed them by default, by mistake, <laughs> because I was just, I was so crazy. And, but I can, I, I look back at that, at that time and I, and I'm like, man, I would have been scared of that motherfucker that I was at that age. <laughs> you know. Dangerous to himself. Right. And, and, and so the shit I'm seeing with these children today and these parents today, I just, it, it really scares the shit out of me. Um, I mean, you don't, I, I'm telling you, bro, you don't know who is who and what is what. Right. You, you well, know, let me you, give you a, a public example and maybe we can talk about it in terms of, of real people. Look at uh, Boosie. Now, all of the anti-gay shit that he has said, and now he has to face all of this stuff with his own daughter. How did that work mentally for Boosie? Now, he came out and said that, um, I'm going to love my daughter, but um, we still not going to, we weren't raised like that. I don't, I don't have to love what she does. Is that acceptable? Is, is that the way forward? Because there, there is a rift between father and daughter, mother and son, parent and child. How do we know what's right and how do we know how to deal with it, whether it's wrong? Well, right and wrong is relative, right? Mm -hmm. And you can want what you want for your child. That's you as a parent, right? But the reality is, um, you as a parent, you really, while there's an emotional attachment, you really are just a vessel that God used to bring that child into the world. That child is really um, God's child. It's the world's child. It belongs to the world. Right. He belongs. Which is why she I belongs. God's child. Right. But belongs to the world and whatever is going to give or take from the world is really going to be on that child. I think it's on you to help nurture that child to be what it needs to be to the world. But um, we as adults, humans, we have the longest nurturing process right. <laughs> um, than, than any other species, right? Um, you know, a dog has a child, you know, and it gets that that dog up to walking and that, you know, it pretty much has right. to start fending, fending for itself. You know, right. a lion, an elephant, you know, a bird, a horse. you know, a horse, they, they, once they get you up, you know, some of those animals go out and hunt and bring back, but that shit only lasts but for so long before they teaching you 
and you got to be a hunter. Right. You got to, you right. know, you got to go do X, Y, and Z. But, you know, we nurture, you know, our kids for a very long time. Um, and I understand it's a different. 18 years, right? Yeah. And I understand it's a different environment. But if we're going to be responsible for 18 years, then I think there's a level of responsibility that's there. Hmm. Right? So if if that's our responsibility, then let it be your responsibility. Don't let the child nurture you. You have to nurture hmm. it. Yeah. Because otherwise, what is your role and function as a parent if you can't be a rule and guide? Right. Everything else, everything else is going to be a dysfunction. Because and, and that that's where we have to find that balance. But you you are the guard of that child until they can begin to make decisions for themselves, informed absolutely. and rational decisions. <laughs> but it, I I know that I tried experimentally to raise my children, and it backfired on me. But uh, I experimentally, and I'm going to tell you why I did it, I had lived a childhood that was so restrictive, so um, I couldn't understand the rules that other children didn't have to follow and I had to follow. In hindsight, some of them were okay, but then some of them were, were just absolutely destructive. So in my um, experience as a child under that type of um, restriction, I said I'm not going to raise my kids to suffer like I had to suffer. Some of it was suffering mentally for me. And that's what I'd, I'd like you to speak to. But let me finish the story first. So I tried to raise my kids where I would not discipline them. I would rather teach them a lesson through talking. But that should backfire on me. Because they became the most unruliest kids on the planet Earth. Oh, I had hell on my hands when they became teenagers. So even in backing off as a parent, as I suggested to you earlier, <laughs> you have to be very careful because you are raising, you are the only thing that is in the way and rightfully so of that child going down the wrong road. And you speak to that pain on both sides as a parent and as a child. Um, I want to be clear the question that you're, you're asking me, though. There, there are children, there are adults that were raised as children so restrictive that when it comes to 
raising their own children, they don't want them to face those same harsh restrictions that austerity, life of austerity and, and um, harshness and cruelness. So they tried to relax their parenting control, but it backfires. And then you got some parents that are very strict and it still backfires. So what is the balance that we must have mentally in order to be parents, even if we had a fucked up parenthood as a child? I guess that's the question I'm asking. Where do we find that balance? Um, I think the balance is relative, right? Um, there's no, because every child is different, right? Every household is different. Um, you might not be able to raise your child like next to a neighbor, people down the street, but people in the next community on the next block. Um, mm -hmm. you may have, you know, one child that's very different from the, from the other child. Um, mm -hmm. uh, both of those children could be raised in the same house by the same parents, but have very different experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you could come from a family with money or a family w without, there's still no guarantee in terms of how your child is, is going to turn out, right? Um, but I think that, you know, again, I, I don't want to tell people because, you know, well, this is what you should do because I think right. it's, it's, it's relative. But I right. think That's if you like don't... a trap question. <laughs> right. I think if you don't have the answer... I think you should seek therapy, um, mm. and 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 not, um, and not just therapy, but right, because as a therapist, I won't see a child by himself or herself. If right. if if a um, parent wants me to see their child, what I will recommend is that the family in and of itself. Seek therapy, family therapy. Mm. But right. if if you want me to just see your child, I'm not going to do that. Right. Because I don't believe that it's ever the, just a child alone. Right. Right. So in my opinion, if this child is fucked up or you feel this child is fucked up or this child isn't listening to you, <clears throat> There's a reason why the child isn't listening to you. And mm. so if you think <clears throat> sending that child to therapy and fixing that child, but not fixing the home is mm. going to fix that child, then that's why that child is where that child is. One, Amen. you've already one, you've already singled this child out, right? And this child <clears throat> doesn't understand himself or herself why they're doing what they're doing, right? They just may be right. responding to an emotion or a, or a feeling, 
they see right. their parents arguing, they see their parents not talking, they see some things that seem not normal at home, and so they're reacting and they're responding because maybe they want attention mm. from mom, maybe they want attention from dad, or maybe they want mom and dad to get along, you know, mm. whatever it is. This should be, in my opinion, a system or a structure approach to that family to identify what's happening in the family and not what's happening with the child. Right. And so if you want the child to be fixed, even if you fix the child, the child's going to get fucked up again by going back home to the fucked up family. Mm-hmm. So, and even if everybody else in the family is doing okay or appears to be doing okay, but this one child is not, you still need a family approach. Right. You still need a family approach because everybody needs to buy in. Everybody needs to be, okay, what's happening in therapy with John? Everybody needs to know so everybody can be on the same page. Everybody can be supported. And John knows everybody's on board. Everybody's working together. So when he gets fixed, they get fixed. Hmm. Right. Or else so, the child gets fixed in, in therapy and comes home and gets unfixed. Right. Or but the child never really gets fixed in therapy, right? Because if you think about right. therapy, the, the session is only going to be an hour. Right? right. An hour and a half. Right. He's gonna after that hour, he's gonna spend twenty three hours in the same right. situation. Right. Right. So even if he leaves there, you know, with a tool or two, it's not going to be enough to get him through right. the rest of the twenty, the twenty-three hours. And if and that, you only send him once, the a, whole family needs therapy, right? Right. Exactly. So if the child gets homework, the the family gets homework. Hmm. So to go back to your question, if you're asking me, um. If the parents had a fucked up um, childhood and they wanted to do something different with their children, mm-hmm. I think what the parents who feel like they had a fucked up childhood, um, what they should do, I think that the parents mm-hmm. should get therapy. Wow. I think, that the, I think that the parents should go to therapy first. And they might even want to explore therapy before they even have kids. Mm. And if they don't do it before they have kids, they should need to do it as soon as they have kids. Mm. That is profound, brother. Because I believe that is the real interest of the church. Now, there's a lot of bad things going on in the church and these religious organizations. But at the root of it, it's the same thing that's going to happen in therapy or, or one hopes will happen in therapy that the family unit comes together, that the family unit is functional. And if you don't have a functional family, you, you are already up shit's creek. It's not that you can't rise above it, but I guarantee you, at least, if you've got three children, two of them are going to come out so messed up. Because the odds are against you if that family does not have some type of foundation behind them. So, 
people like uh, Minister Farrakhan, even if we don't believe everything he believes, they are some form of therapy for some form of organization for some form of structure. And you could say that, oh, he's harsh on this, he's harsh on that. But it is what it is. It's supposed to guide your development. Yeah, and and when you study psychology, psychology, much of what psychology is teaching you is how you psychologically develop, like mentally, mm-hmm. morally, physically, you know, academically, socially, you know, you know, all of those things. And when you don't have that, you know, you don't, you don't know, mm. right? And you can't give what you don't have. You can't teach what mm. you don't know. Exactly. You know, if you watch the Cosby show and you like the Cosby show, the Cosby show kids were some of the most fucked up kids ever. <laughs> all of them. And they look good on the surface. <laughs> You know, they all had they all had fucking issues. Mm. And I'll tell you as a parent, one of the things that fucked me up the most about being a parent mm-hmm. is no matter what you're teaching them at home, I, I never knew this. I swear I never knew this. Mm-hmm. I never because I was I know it now. Mm-hmm. Right. But, <laughs> Having gone through it. <laughs> right. I, I never anticipated as a parent and being, you know, home, you know, in a two-parent household and all the rest of that stuff. I never thought about the outside influences mm-hmm. and 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 the impact that they were gonna have on, on my kids. Right. How powerful those outside influences are. I, I never I, I never thought about that. I I I but I now look back at that mm-hmm. and I remember now how much of an outside influence I was. Because right. I I affected <laughs> everything and anybody around me. <laughs> so if you was a girl that liked me because I was cool or because I was popular, I never had any idea. I don't think I really thought about it, you know, mm-hmm. because I didn't have a wherewithal to really think about it. How right. some of those parents probably was hating my freaking guts because oh, their daughter yeah. was liking me. And the influence, but. <laughs> Right. And they were like, why in the fuck do you like this bad ass fucking kid? <laughs> you know. And they would Brother, you know, probably just you know if I tell you all the things I went through, like this nigga ain't no good. Why the fuck are you listening to him? Yeah. Yeah. And so that is I mean, I, I just and be, maybe because I came up the way I came up. 
I didn't mm-hmm. understand that. I didn't think about that. Um, right. You know, but then now being a parent, I'm like, that motherfucker's a loser. That was me. <laughs> right. You know, when my son called, when my son calls me from college and he says that they smoke a lot of weed down here, they sell a lot of weed down here. There's a lot of guns down here. You know, I didn't, I didn't come down here for that. I'm like, damn son, I understand, but shit, I was that dude that you talking about. I was, I was that dude on campus, you know, toting guns and you know, and involved in all the mystery, you know, and the stuff that you're saying that makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, mm. I was that I was that dude. Mm. You know. Stay away from them type of people. Yeah. So, you know, I try to raise you different from the way I was, but I realized mm-hmm. I sheltered you in doing that. Right. So. Well, I hope yeah. he's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I talk to him. I, I, you know, and I tell him, you know, mind your business, stay in your lane. Don't try to be something that you that you're not. Um, right. But you know, also, you know, you have to grow, you know, and develop and learn, gain your self identity, you know, right. about who you are and your self confidence. So running from it won't save you. This, that, I mean. This is a this is a microcosm of the world. This is right. You know, you, this is you, what the you, world is actually about. Yeah, you you you're on your own now, nigga. I need you to you know learn to be a man, stand on your own, you know, and be all right because mm-hmm. that's what's right. going to allow you, you know, you know, to be your own individual person, you know, to be who right. you are, and for you to build the confidence that you need to be a man, that you need to one day be a father or a husband, you know. And mm-hmm. if I if I shelter you, you know, now and tell you, oh no, come back, come over, but you know, I'm not helping you in that sense. Right. You know, but I gotta prop you up to allow you to be a man and stand on your own. Exactly. And and that that's why, brother, the the other thing I would say for twenty twenty three, one one of the things I said was be careful. The other thing is set boundaries. If you see things that you don't want, you have to be able to establish your boundaries and don't cross them for nobody. Because you'll be right in the same pool of shit with them if you follow yep. them. Yep. At some point, brother, even when you was on a negative path, you finally had to set some boundaries. And that is the path to your success. That is your story. And well, it's brother, a beautiful story that needs to constantly be repeated. Well, bro, the, the one thing that I don't think I've ever really struggled with in terms of boundaries, um, mm. there's some things I was always clear about. <laughs> you know, even, you even, wasn't a follower, right? <laughs> even, even in the streets, you know what I'm saying? I mean... <laughs> You know, I was gonna go, but so far, even if I was with you, you know, right. I mean, you know, we can hustle, we can do, you know, X, Y, and Z, but I'm not doing that shit. You know, you can do that, but I'm not doing. It. 
You know what I'm saying? You need to be clear that I'm not doing that shit. You know what I'm saying? And, but that shit was always re- re- respected. You know, like people would respect right. me. Because I said, people are going to respect you more, right? Yeah, because I'm like, man, I'm not doing that. You know, y'all niggas, mm. I mean, we can go rob these niggas, but I ain't robbing no civilians. <laughs> I ain't robbing no women. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, ain't selling, I ain't selling no dope to this person. I ain't doing this. I ain't doing right. You know what I'm saying? There, there's certain boundaries that I always had, you know, mm. about, about certain things, you know, mm. and I just didn't cross them. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that I didn't because I think that that shit saved my life, you know, in a way. That, that's right. You that's know, right. If, if that, I that's, was, that's where the principles of your grandmother stuck in. <laughs> they had a purpose. Absolutely. They don't work now, but they had a purpose. Boy, yeah. Because I, if I didn't have my mother and father's um, boundaries, boy, I would be fucked up right now. Yeah, I would be so much in a worse condition than I am now. But I had certain boundaries, and those were developed coming up. And I didn't yeah. understand them. I didn't like them. I didn't want my children to even experience them. But they had a purpose. Yeah. Religion has a purpose. Government has a purpose. Politics has a purpose. All of these things you're not going to find right answers for. Nobody has the right answers, but you have the work that you need to do and you know who you need to involve. You need to have some type of structure and you need to have some type of grouping of people with like minds. Absolutely. And and, and it has to be across the board because, you know, Mm -hmm. I have boundaries in the streets about what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. But mm-hmm. I also have, but I also have create boundaries in my home. When I met mm. my wife, I said to her, "I said I'm gonna tell you before we go any further, you know." <laughs> and I talked about, you know, religion. I talked about yes, holidays. Sir. I talked about, mm. you know, Christmas, Christmas trees, mm. Easter, Valentine's. You know, and I was like, I was like, before we go any further, you know. As much as I like you, you know, you know, I love you, you know, mm. I need to know where you stand with this because I'm, I, you know, I'm not right. buying Valentine's. I'm not, you right. know, doing Easter. I'm not doing X, Y, Z. And then right. I'm not doing pork. I'm not raising right. kids with government names. I'm not, right. um, I'm, I'm not going to curse at you. I'm not going to call mm. you out your name. I don't care how mad we get, you know, you're right. not going to be a, a B. I'm not going to be a B or SOB or mm. motherfucker. I'm, we, we, you know, with those type of words and language will not be used, you know, in this relationship, in, the, in you know, in our house, regardless of how mad we get, you know, we're going to have that level of respect. And as soon as that is violated, then the relationship is violated. Right. Because I'm not going to embarrass you and I'm not going to embarrass me. And we're not going to raise kids that grow up, you know, and we embarrass them or they embarrass us because we teach Mm. them that that type of bad behavior. Right. So, you know, 
you know, I, my wife and I can have a ton of disagreements, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to call out her name and she ain't going to call right. me out of mine. Right. You know, and it ain't going to be no MFs or this, 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 this. I don't care, right. you know, you know, what it is. You know, that's not going to happen. And when you create those boundaries like that, man, it creates a certain type of um, environment for you. Mm. But when you don't have boundaries, man, your wife will talk you up and down. You'll talk your wife up and down. <laughs> you know, you guys will be in public and you'll be an SOB, you know, and she'll be an FNB, you know, it, it, you know, and if your wife call you that, your children will call you that, you know, so, you know, boundaries is everything, bro. And I'm talking, and, and, and I'm talking, you know, I don't care if it's streets or just your home or just your friends, you know, you, you need to have boundaries. And if you don't have boundaries, right. you know, that you, you know, anything can happen, anything will happen. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, we did tonight was take a back porch approach to speaking about uh, women. Um, this is Women's History Month, and um, sometimes you just can't address them because they have their own way of thinking, their own way of doing things. But um, what we can do is try to have a meeting of the minds, a coming together in some type of organization, some type of boundaries, and some type of goals together. Um, I hope that uh, the people understand and uh, try to work together. There's a lot of things that um, we need to do, and, and the work is, is the only thing that um, will bring it about. Whether you're in a religious organization, whether you're in a family, whether you're in um, school, all of these things have to have some type of structure, some type of system. Um, the system that we find ourselves in, the racial one, the reason that it works so effectively is because they put in the work. Let us now put in our work in order to achieve the things that we want to manifest. Brother? Um, we were all over the place, but I tried to land this plane I'm going to let you take it, uh, taxi us to the, um, to the airport hub. Bring us home, brother. In your famous words. Yes, sir. No, I think the, I think the Bible says it best. Um, prayer without work, prayer without action is, is, mm. is vain. So, you know, Allah says he gives us, uh, he makes man in his 
in, in his likeness. So that means that we're in the likeness of, of God. And he's given us the things that we need to be successful. Mm. Right? And so if you are not manifesting and utilizing the things that he's given you, the tools that he's given you to be successful, then anything that you're praying for, anything that you're asking for is in vain. Because it's almost hip hypocritical to ask for something and then not go out and do the work. If you're asking for a relationship, if you ask for a job, whatever it is that you're asking for, if you're not putting in the work afterwards, after you ask for that, then it, it is in vain and it is almost it is almost um, what's the word they use when they say that you curse God? Uh, blasphemy. It's <laughs> almost blasphemy to ask for something and then not go after it and not put in the work. Mm. Indeed. And that's my thought. Process. You're listening to Rock Mental Health and Grace. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after these messages.